0: welcome to the commentary a weekly conversation about vision worship and life at grace presbyterian church i'm mark bertrand the pastor of grace and my fellow commenter in today's episode is cameron brooks this is our first episode of the new year 2022 so it's only fitting that we return to one of the questions alluded to in our last show resolution when you join a church like grace as a member. You do it publicly before the church, and you do it by affirming vows. Everyone who joins makes the same commitment, which you might think of as a set of resolutions. But as I mentioned, it's now 2022, and if there's one thing we should have learned by now about people in the 21st century, it's that we have an aversion to old-fashioned commitments. Oh, and to rituals. Even so, in this episode, we'll unpack why, despite this knowledge, grace continues to receive members in a formal way, administering ancient vows before the gathered church. We'll even suggest that, for modern people like us, this approach offers some profound benefits.
1: always a joyful thing on a Sunday morning when we have new members join the church at Grace, and that's something that we were able to experience recently, and one of the reasons I enjoy that process, other than just the joy of being able to invite new friends into the family, is to listen to the membership vows that these new members take before the congregation, and I wanted to talk about those a little bit because they they always strike me as... Obviously, deliberate and very particular. so I've got a few questions, but maybe the first one is, why do we do membership vows? What's the significance of them? Obviously, you know, that's the big question, but but why do we do those?
0: Yeah, I mean, the way that we receive members does look a little bit different from the way that uh, some churches do. I remember when I was growing up, uh, joining the church. And my Baptist church was as simple as somebody walks down the aisle at the end of a service and says, yeah, I want to join the church. And literally right there, the pastor says, you know, all in favor say aye kind of a thing mm. and and very uh, quick and informal, I guess you could say. Yeah. And in our process, following our book of church order, the way that I become a member is by taking these public vows before the congregation and there are five vows and a person who is taking these vows is actually making a public profession of faith so when you look at the content of the vows and what they actually cover they walk you through an understanding of the gospel a profession of faith and a commitment to enter into the life of the church and be committed to the life of faith basically and so the, obviously the wording of the vows themselves is more uh, complex and and 17th century as befits Presbyterianism, but the essence of them is to give form to a profession of faith that's made before the church. And what's interesting about that is all of the members of the church who are present there witnessing it have gone through this same process. Right. So everyone has taken these same vows and made the same commitment. So There's this interesting dynamic that the Book of Church Order talks about, especially with baptism, where when I witness the baptism of another person, I'm encouraged to reflect on my own baptism and and what it means for me to to remember my baptism as a way of reflecting on who I am in Christ. And I think in the same way, when we witness uh, a new member affirming vows, causes us to reflect on the vows that we've taken, uh, which is good because sometimes, especially in the 21st century, we agree to a lot of stuff and we don't always pay attention
1: to what commitments we're actually making. Mm-hmm. Yeah. that That's a really helpful way for me to think about it because you're right. We don't always remember that, oh yeah, I I made those same vows too. And it's a, it's a time to pause perhaps and to ask yourself, am I fulfilling those? Right. I
0: mean, we're used to, you know, terms and conditions, the the box you need to click before the submit button will light (laughs) up. And so a lot of times we tend to look at things like this as formalities and not pay too much attention to the fine print. So at Grace, in our membership process, one of the things I try to do always is to emphasize the importance of not taking vows before God that you don't intend to keep, of understanding the nature of those vows. And so we'll actually look at the confession and talk about some of its teaching about how to approach you know, the taking of vows so that this can be done in a serious way and a way that reflects our
1: desire to live faithfully in community. So do you think it's not enough just to profess faith in Jesus and then start hanging out with a, a church, even if maybe you've resolved or you've made a vow to yourself to, to be a part of this community? I'm still trying to figure out what is the, you know, is, is there a necessity for this mm. public profession or this public vow to others or is my personal faith enough
0: right yeah it's it's an interesting question because i think depending on the angle you take you could easily justify any answer right i mean obviously there's not a passage in scripture you know the ethiopian eunuch doesn't say what would prevent me from being baptized and only to have philip tell him, well According to the book of church order, you're going to need to, you know, go on a Sunday morning and affirm some <laughs> vows. And, you know, so I, I think definitely all of our our processes are always subject to that sort of qualification. Like we, this is not essential to salvation. We're not saying that, that doing it exactly the way that we do it is the only right way to do it. And certainly in our day and age where we tend to not take... Uh, formality, you know, ritual, those kinds of things very seriously. It's really easy to be dismissive of these things. I don't need to join a church. I don't need to make commitments like this. It's enough for me to believe in my heart and to hang out with people who I feel sympathetic to in that way. The flip side of that, though, is the way we tend to live is I hang out with those people as long as it feels good and once it doesn't i just do something else and so even though we think of our commitments as as being really sort of grounded and sincere they end up having a a superficiality to them because we've been reluctant to make them formal and public and and serious you know and probably the only Thing we have left in, in our culture that has any sort of analogy here would be like taking marriage vows. Yeah. Where, you know, you get this, this strange phenomena in our culture where, like, people who uh, don't have any religious faith and who have been cohabitating for, you know, 10 years, may even have children together, will at some point get this idea hey, we should get married and, and go through this formality. And you ask yourself, you know, why? Well, it's, it, it just feels like it takes us to the next level or adds a seriousness or whatever to the commitment. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that instinct does suggest something about human beings and, and the needs of human beings. Like we we may have a fear of commitment, but also we have a deep need to make commitments and to keep those commitments together in community. So when you look at what the church is in the New Testament, you look at the the collective life of the church and the nature of its commitments and that sort of thing, you you start to understand why we take this more seriously, why we are more formal in our approach to the commitments that are being made, and it, it you start to see the benefits of it, you know, So on the one hand, I, I think there is a lot more scriptural, mandate and rationale behind these things than we often realize but on the other there's a a more practical benefit especially for for us right now the more that we sort of rediscover these traditional ways of being the church the more beneficial we find them in a time when it's really difficult to to feel grounded and committed over time and and committed to something that's that's outside of time yeah
1: well speaking of marriage i think of wedding vows and you know there's also this phenomenon today where people feel the need to make up their own wedding vows yeah they think you know the traditional vows that most people at least in our tradition have taken over the centuries are for some reason not sufficient so they'll they'll come up with their own and you know, some of those are great. Some of those are not so great. I've heard bad examples, but I think it, it shows something interesting where it's like, we need to make this real for ourselves. And I think that's a, a good impulse, but for some reason, the, the traditional way of affirming that of vowing that isn't enough. Yeah, no, that's
0: interesting because I, when I look at like, why would you write your own wedding vows? For example, I think the the answer is probably ultimately something like self-expression, mm-hmm. right? That it feels like a, a, a more special kind of commitment if I write the words myself to express my love rather than just relying on some pro forma, literally every couple who's gotten married has said the same thing and, and none of them loved you know their wives, the way I love you, yeah. that, you know that kind of thing, so like i f- I feel like there's a sentimental self expression kind of thing that that again is very much our culture, right we're obsessed with identity with expression of of individuality and things like that but but it also resonates with us when we discover. Ancient ways of affirming our community. Right. So, so ironically, even though we're addicted to self-expression, using the words that everyone else has used, wedding vows might be an example, but I think of like a confession of faith. Right? There's something about confessing your faith with the words of the Nicene Creed that is different from confessing your faith with the words that you literally extemporized in the moment. Like I'm not saying that, that being able to extemporize a confession of faith is a bad thing, it's a good thing, but there's just something about you know, that, that sense that I am using the same words as all of the saints who went before me. And so I think having shared vows in this way emphasizes to us the unity that we have in the body of Christ, that each of us has made the same commitments, and those commitments are commitments that, that essentially outline the gospel and the work of the Spirit in us. And so that, I think, is the value, and, or at least part of the value, let's say, of, <laughs> of doing membership in the formal way that we do. Uh, The other beauty is that coming to understand these vows is a kind of education in itself. And so like going through the vows and thinking about what they mean really does give me a grounding in the gospel. That's really important. So like, if you take a look at the vows, you'll see what I'm talking about. You know, there's five of them. Here's the first vow it says, do you acknowledge yourself to be a sinner in the sight of God, justly deserving his displeasure and without hope, save in his sovereign mercy? And you would affirm by saying, I do. Now, obviously, there's something, you know, awe-inspiring and dreadful about this wording. Yeah. And that you're taking a vow to acknowledge what a bad person you are, basically, what a sinful person you are, justly deserving of God's displeasure. But the more you reflect on that, the more you realize that this is a statement of repentance, right? This is uh, uh, releasing any pretense that we might have had to self-righteousness, and so admitting that we're sinners is the first step, Mm -hmm. right? In understanding the the true gospel, and so it is crystallized for us in that vow. And the second vow just follows afterward. It says, do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God and Savior of sinners? And do you receive and rest upon him alone for salvation as he is offered in the gospel? So it's essentially, I've admitted I'm a sinner, and now I'm admitting that my only hope is in Jesus Christ. Uh, There's more to it than that. You know, you can dig into the details, but that's the essence of it. Uh, The third vow, do you now resolve and promise in humble reliance upon the grace of the Holy Spirit that you will endeavor to live as becomes the followers of Christ? That's sanctification. i now indwelled by the Holy Spirit. I'm going to try to live as a Christian should live. And then the fifth vow, do you promise to support the church in its worship and work to the best of your ability that I'm going to be committed to the Christian community? This is one I think that that for modern people, they might think, okay, now we've kind of taken a turn, like we were talking about gospel stuff that applies to me individually, and now suddenly the church is involved. But you have to remember, if you go back to the New Testament, making that hard distinction between individual salvation and the church, that's a false dichotomy. that The New Testament puts those things together. There's there's nobody who's coming to Christ, but but not uniting themselves to the body of Christ. You know, the people's salvation in the book of Acts is always sort of categorized in this idea of being added to the church. And there's, there's not a a third way, you know, there. So, so supporting the church and its worship and work is essentially a person who believes in Christ now uniting himself to Christ's other worshipers and worshiping him with them and working for him with them. And then Lastly, the fifth vow, do you submit yourself to the government and discipline of the church and promise to study its purity and peace? Well, the church that Jesus establishes is a church that has elders. It's a church that has authorities, and those authorities are actually, you know, there's an expectation God has that they will govern the church well and that they will uh, exercise discipline. In fact, we see the Apostle Paul rebuking elders who don't do this, you know, telling them, like, you're letting you know, sin run rife in the church and you're not doing anything about it. Like, you're at fault for that. So not only are the, the elders there, but they're expected to act in these situations. And so all of these are characteristics of the, the church in the New Testament, and you see them reflected here in these membership vows.
1: In some way, it, it feels like what we're doing is asking in so many words, are you a Christian? You know, and what, like, you, like you just explained, you know, what those all, where those all come from in scripture and, and why it's important for individuals to be involved in the church in the New Testament and then what the church is up to. All of those things are like, you know, are you a Christian basically? And then we're just kind of detailing those points out in a, in a really helpful way that does tell the story of the gospel and then invites us into right. it and kind of asking, are, you know, is that you?
0: Yeah, it's a way of asking, are you a Christian, that doesn't allow you to say yes if you don't know what a Christian is. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. That that I think, you know, we've talked about this before, the way that a lot of people believe that Christianity is a sort of belief system or a philosophy, and that it's possible to subscribe to the philosophy but maybe not be part of the lifestyle. Mm-hmm. You know that those two things are different. But but Christianity is a faith that must be practiced. There's there's not a sort of passive I believe in Christian ideas way of being a Christian. Christianity is is a way, you know, with a capital W. And so I think these vows really emphasize that, you know, that I'm affirming my faith in Christ and I'm doing it in language that makes it clear that I know as I make the commitment what a life lived for Christ is meant to look like. Mm -hmm. So in in a weird way, I guess you're saying, you know, you can't wiggle out of it. You can't say, well, I joined the church, but I had no idea what would be expected of me by God. You do because literally it's, it's there in the words. And, and if it's not, then it isn't expected or required. You know, that's the beauty of it as well, that, that you don't have to have any sort of, Uh, ambiguity, right, about what is and is not expected or allowed. You have a sense in a a system like this of not only the fact that there are elders and authorities in the church, but you also know what the limits of that authority are. And, and, And if those limits are being overstepped, like you have a sense of how this is all supposed to work. And so I think that all is extraordinarily helpful at any time. But especially now when so much of this is alien to us, I find it very helpful.
1: Yeah, me too. And like you just said, it's, it's a reminder of what we, what we signed up for in the way that Jesus calls us to live in. And that's why I just love hearing those, you know, those vows made again like we, we did recently and am convicted about my own, yeah. um, you know, my fulfillment of those vows. But encouraged yeah. too.
0: Yeah, you know, I think the the act of taking vows and then reflecting on them does reorient us a little bit because in the Christian life, the thing that is most valued is, in terms of virtues is faithfulness. The idea of taking vows and then remaining faithful to them over the course of a lifetime is something glorious and worthwhile from the standpoint of scripture. But from the standpoint of culture, that's not how we are. Like, like you describe that and, and it sounds like a straitjacket, you know, who wants to live their entire life trying to remain faithful to vows that they took when they were 17 years old or, or, or 37 or 57 years old. You know, like we want the freedom to change and adapt and evolve. And, and all of that seems to mitigate against this kind of commitment, but there's just something to be said about faithfulness over time. And it is, I I won't pretend that I understand this. I feel like it's something I've seen a little bit in my own experience and a lot secondhand, but in the same way that like a marriage over the course of time, can improve and improve in ways that you wouldn't have anticipated, and can be good in ways that that you know when it began you wouldn't have even thought of you know like that as as a, a a register of the scale, you know, and yet it can mean something to you over time through that investment and that commitment that faithfulness. I'm going to say that that the Christian life is that way as well that 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 faithfulness over time it has a kind of like a, uh, an enriching layering kind of value to it where you begin to appreciate more and more things that um, you probably wouldn't have cared much about at the beginning. And so, as I say, it's, it's a reorientation of the way we think where we're going to commit ourselves and we're going to focus our energies on maintaining those commitments faithfully. And that's a different order of values than the cultural thing where it's all about self-expression and constant reinvention. That's all the time we have for now. Thanks for listening. In the show notes, you'll find a link to a page on Grace's website entirely devoted to the membership process. You'll find the text of the five vows mentioned in this episode, along with explanations and encouragement in how to think rightly about them. You'll also find recordings of our new member class and all the information needed to decide whether this is a church community that you want to commit to. Until next time, if you've enjoyed the commentary, you can rate us on your favorite podcast app and share episodes with your friends on social media. You can subscribe to the commentary on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. To find out more about us online, visit graceforsiouefalls.org.